The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I send it. Welcome to another program with Truths to Live By, a ministry of Harriman Baptist Tabernacle in Harriman, Tennessee. You're listening to Brother Benjamin Cooley. I pray we would be a blessing to you today. saved us from our sins, our lives are now in God. We desire the Holy Word to order where we trod. All for Christ, yet anything for self we count as dross. We're pilgrims with a crown turn in our Bibles to the book of John chapter number one, and we did not get this finished last week as I told you. My apologies, but we continue looking at Christ the servant and the unsearchable riches of Christ. First a word of prayer, and then we'll reread John chapter one and verse number 14 together. Father, I come now in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is for his sake that we pray and we preach and we would point men to Calvary even today, even to the blood of our Savior, your dear Son, Jesus Christ the Lord. Please draw sinners unto thyself. Help them to see their need of the Savior, I pray. Shine the light of the gospel into the darkened minds and blinded hearts of men. In Jesus' name, amen. John 1.14, Christ the servant, he is the infinite one, the incomparable one, and the incarnate one. This is the miracle of the word, and the word was made flesh. We move to the next phrase, and dwelt among us. This is the tabernacle of the word. The word dwelt means to tent or encamp. It means to occupy, as if in a mansion, or specially to reside as God did in the tabernacle of old. It means to dwell, as the word was translated. 
and therefore we find a word picture. This word dwelt points us to the tabernacle of the Old Testament. You can read about it in the book of Exodus, chapters 25 through 31, and chapters 35 through 40. And just as God chose to abide with his people by filling the tabernacle with the Shekinah glory of his presence, so God chose to abide with men in the glorious person of Christ, and God pitched a tent, and he dwelt among us in the flesh of Jesus Christ. What a mercy and what a miracle that God would be so gracious to dwell among the likes of men like me. Recall how the Old Testament tabernacle, it was glorious within, but it was plain without. Without it was nothing to be desired, but within it was something to behold. Even so Christ veiled his divine glory in his humanity. He clothed himself in human flesh, and from without he looked like any other man. However, from within he was not like any man. It must be understood that Jesus Christ only came in the likeness of sinful flesh. Did you get that? In the likeness of sinful flesh. You could see no obvious difference when you looked at him, but all to hear him speak, all to see him work, and you would know this man is different. Never man spake like this man. Certainly, truly, this man was the Son of God, the centurion would say there at Calvary. But why did Jesus come in the likeness of sinful flesh? That he might condemn sin in the flesh. Romans 8, 3, Philippians 2 and verse 7, therefore Christ was perfectly without sin. Isaiah 53, 9, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, Hebrews 4, verse 15, chapter 7, verse 26, 1 Peter 2, 22, and 1 John chapter 3, verse 5. Yes, Christ was perfect without sin. In him was no sin. He did no sin. He knew no sin. And neither was any guile found in his mouth. William Burkitt comments along these lines, and he says this, quote, Christ's taking flesh implies that he did not only take upon him the human nature, but all the weaknesses and infirmities of that nature also, sinful infirmities and personal infirmities accepted. He had nothing to do with our sinful flesh. Though Christ loved souls with an infinite and inseparable love, Yet he would not sin to save a soul. And he took no personal infirmities upon him, but such as are common to the whole nature as hunger and thirst and weariness. We go back to the Old Testament. God met with Israel in the tabernacle. This was the place where the altar was, where the sacrifices were made, and where the blood was shed. And so it is with Christ. He died upon the altar even the cross of Calvary, as the Lamb of God, even the sacrifice. He shed His blood and is the one and final sacrifice for sins. He is the God-man. He is that one mediator between God and men. First Timothy 2 verse 5 clearly says it, for there is one God 
That means there's no other gods. There is one God and one mediator. That means there's no other way to God but through this one mediator. So there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Therefore, if you want to see God when you leave this life, then you'd better come by way of Jesus. He's the one go-between. He's the only one and the only way that can get a man to God. And so, in the Old Testament, if you wanted to meet with God, then you'd better get to the tabernacle. And you'd better have a sacrifice and go before the high priest. Well, Christ Jesus, our Lord, he's both the sacrifice for our sins and he's the great high priest. And therefore, if you want to meet with God in this New Testament economy, then you'd better get to the tabernacle of the Lord Jesus Christ. You better go to him. And thanks be unto God that he dwelt or tabernacled among us. John continues in verse 14, And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Yes, the miracle of the word, the tabernacle of the word, but now the glory of the word. According to Albert Barnes, the word glory here means majesty, dignity, and splendor. I give you these thoughts, a glorious sight, and we beheld his glory. John says, me and the other disciples, yes, we looked upon his glory. We saw it. The glory of Jesus at times would shine through that tent door for us to see and for people to see. Oh, the glory of his deity would shine through the veil of his humanity. And Peter would speak about it in his second epistle, chapter 1, verse 16. And speaking of the Mount of Transfiguration, he said we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Oh, yes, these men saw his glory. Read about it in Matthew 17, verses 1 through 9, Mark chapter 9, verses 1 through 10, Luke chapter 9, verses 28 through 36. What a sight that must have been. Yet I say with each miracle, with each message, and in each moment, the glory of God would peek through that tent door. It would shine forth. What glory it must have also been to have watched him and heard him when he prayed. Think about Luke 11, verse 1. When they saw him and when they heard him pray, one of those disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. Throughout his ministry, the people beheld him. Mark chapter 9, verse 15. And then finally, at his ascension, one last time in the flesh, they saw him. And he was taken up in the glory of those clouds. A glorious sight. But then a glorious sonship. It is the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Christ is the only Son of God as he is the Son of God. He is God's only child in this sense, if I can say it like that. God has but one eternal Son who preexisted with the Father before the world ever was. His name is Jesus Christ. You and I become the sons of God 
by spiritual birth, and our sonship is thus different, and Christ is unique, and his is a matter of position and a matter of preeminence, and he never had to become the Son of God. He is the eternal Son of God, the only begotten of the Father. This speaks of his relationship between the Father and the Son. It's one of deity, it's one of delight, and it's one of difference from all others. It's unique, and the Father has but one Son in that sense that Jesus is the Son of God. But thank God he has many children, and we are all children of God by faith in Jesus Christ, Galatians 3, 26. But then the fullness of the word as we close out here just briefly, full of grace and truth. There's that perfect balance and perfect blessing in Christ. What fallen man needed most was grace and truth. They came in Christ and they redeemed. Truth calls on men to repent and receive Christ and grace makes it all possible. Grace includes His love, His miracles, His compassion, our salvation. Truth includes His light, His message, His character, and yes, our condemnation. Marvelous, infinite, matchless grace of our loving Lord. In Christ is that perfect balance, which is so rightly expressed in the gospel. Even that God loves us, but due to our sins, We are guilty before God and therefore already condemned. And Christ came not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. We thank you for making this ministry a part of your day. And in closing, we want to point you to the words of our Lord in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4. He answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And truly it is written. God's word, every word, presents us with truths to live by. You've been listening to Brother Benjamin Cooley. Please send all correspondence to Truths to Live By, P.O. Box 575, Harriman, Tennessee, 37748 or you can email us at bmarkcooley at gmail.com and finally brethren pray for us